Well, welcome to another edition of the Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh, Super Tuesday edition of the program. And I realize we're not officially in election season yet, but we're going to give you an opportunity to learn about some things that will become abortion or excuse me, election hot button issues. I think I just gave away my tip there. But there are things that we have to think about, especially in the body of Christ, especially as it pertains to the electorate, how people choose their voting and uh, make the decisions that they do based on you know the issues that are on the table. And one thing we saw during the midterm elections in 2022 was something that did not seem like it would be a campaign issue to people of the conservative bent, people of the Christian bent, people of the pro-life bent, but turned out to be a huge thing for secular leftists and totalitarian progressives, and that is the issue of abortion. Now, you remember on June the 24th, 2022, a day that will live in, not infamy, but quite uh, quite the opposite. The 22nd of January, 1973, is the day that the United States Supreme Court, by a 72 margin, invented a woman's constitutional, and I say that in air quotes for our myhopenow.com listeners, uh, invented the constitutional right to abortion. They borrowed a little from the First Amendment, the 14th Amendment, came up with a constitutional right to privacy, and that that impacted whether or not a woman should be able to have the right to choose whether or not to abort and not tell anybody what she was doing. And it was just between her and her doctor, et cetera, et cetera. And meanwhile, at least 65 million children in this country have been murdered in the womb legally because of federal abortion laws. On the 24th of June, 2022, by a margin of six to three, the United States Supreme Court corrected that mis diagnosis, if you will, uh, led by uh, Justice Alito and others, and basically said, look, Roe versus Wade in 1973 and Planned Parenthood versus Casey in the 1990s were both arrived at under false pretense, and the Supreme Court did not have the authority to do so. So abortion was not made illegal on the 24th of June. The federal mandate that said abortion should be made legal in all 50 states, plus the District of Columbia was. Now the issue of abortion goes back to the states and every state gets to make up their own law. And I don't say make up that it's not what I mean. Every state needs to gets to enact their own legislation, either by election and of certain officials who draw the legislation and then they vote on it. Or like here in the People's Republic of California with Proposition 1, we have enshrined abortion here in the Golden State into law. Uh, it's enshrined in law in, Cal- in Colorado with Proposition 3. I believe it was Proposition 5 in Vermont or Connecticut. Uh, my colleague, uh, Neil uh, Boron at WDCX in Buffalo, said that they're pushing for similar legislation in New York. The battle to stop abortion in the United States is not over, not by a long shot. If anything, the battle got more intensified with Roe versus Wade being overturned. And yet many states have enacted what are called uh, heartbeat laws and baby protection laws. The House of Representatives just passed a resolution uh, last week, I believe it was, the Born Alive Infant Protection Act. Now, get a load of this, this piece of legislation that had to be passed and how many congressmen and women voted for it and how many voted against it. For years, and I think this goes back to the Bill Clinton administration, Congress has wrestled with whether or not children in the womb conceived pre-born children have any sort of rights when it comes to their own birth or in the case of abortion, their own death. And there are many people in the pro-abortion camp, the pro-abortion community 
that honestly believe and sincerely believe that if a woman goes to an abortion clinic to have an abortion or takes an abortive, an abortifacient, uh, the two-step pill, uh, whether it's RU486 or whatever, they honestly believe that once she begins the process of aborting the child, that the child no longer has any rights, that the child is no longer considered human. And you'd be amazed at the number of states where they've had to enact legislation that says if a woman attempts to abort her child and the abortion doesn't work, the child somehow survives the abortion, states have had to enact legislation that said those kids have rights, that those lives should be fought for. About 10 years ago, I had the privilege of meeting Gianna Jessen at uh, the National Religious Broadcasters Convention. We were in Nashville that year. It's amazing what Gianna has been through, physically, emotionally, spiritually. She's a very strong Christian. But her mother attempted to abort her, and Gianna survived. She wound up being born with cerebral palsy. She had major medical and emotional challenges because her literally they were trying to kill her body with these chemicals. The Born Alive Infant Protection Act, or the Born Alive Abortion Survivor Act, that passed through Congress last week, basically said if you attempt to abort a child and the child survives the abortion, the child has the right to medical care. There was a pretty large hospital here in Southern California that used to perform elective abortions and also provided abortive care as well as having a full labor and delivery delivery uh, uh, available to mother and child. And at one point they decided to stop elective abortions. Now bear in mind, every year this hospital would have 6,000 live births, you know, brand spanking new bouncing baby boys and girls that were born at this hospital. They also performed 100 abortions. In addition to the abortion, though, they also provided what they called abortive care for a woman, perhaps who had had uh, attempted an abortion. This was a hospital with staffed doctors and nurses and uh, trained professionals on hand to treat both mother and child in the event that the abortion went sideways. About seven, eight years ago, this hospital said, you know what, we're not going to do that anymore. Not going to do that, meaning elective abortions. They would still, of course, have a full labor delivery for live births, and they would also provide post-abortive care for women who had had complications with an abortion. Both mother and child now need medical care, and this hospital said, bring it. We will care for these kids. Speaking under case of anonymity, I was privileged to meet someone who worked in the IT security department of said hospital. And this person told me, without mentioning any names and without ever showing me any documentation, he said, you would not believe the pressure that we're getting from the state of California to start performing elective abortions again. I said, yeah, but you're a hospital that is, has a faith-based component. I know. You do provide post-abortive care for women who the abortion didn't work for whatever reason. Now she's in major medical distress. Here comes the baby, whatever. You also provide that care for women who come in with a medical challenge while they're pregnant and they've tried surgery, they've tried hormones, they've tried everything they can, and now both either mother and or child are in distress, and this hospital would provide care for them too. That's right. So what is the problem? He said, the problem, quite frankly, is we're not doing 100 abortions a year. When you consider the 
million or so abortions that are performed in the United States every year. A hundred abortions doesn't seem like a lot. And there are plenty of other places in Southern California that will be more than happy to kill that child for money. But Molech doesn't go down quietly. The enemy wants as many precious babies as he can possibly get. So it's interesting now that Roe versus Wade has been overturned. The Democrats turned that into a campaign rallying cry. Republicans want to steal your freedom. They want to ruin democracy. Here comes Donald Trump once again. You're going to lose all of your liberties. Women won't have access to health care. You would not believe the number of people who vote Democrat who bought that line. And the only reason I say that is because none of it's true. Not one word of what I just said about what the Democrats are saying about the, the democracy being at risk was true. And yet millions of people who vote Democrat go, oh my God, democracy, well, we've got to fight for democracy. Yeah, we all fight for democracy. That's why we have open elections. But as a constitutional republic, a true democracy is mob rule. Well, if I call it mob rule, then nobody wants a democracy, do they? They want a constitutional republic. So Roe versus Wade overturned, Planned Parenthood versus Casey overturned. Half the states in America now are pro-life and don't have any way of, of you know, a legal abortion, save for the possibility that a woman's health might be at risk, her life might be in danger. And no state drew more attention to this than the Lone Star State, Texas. Remember the Texas heartbeat bill? was passed back in July or August of 2021, prior to Roe versus Wade being overturned, said that if there is a detectable heartbeat, it would be a crime for an abortionist to either prescribe abortion medication or to perform a surgical abortion. And the number of abortions in Texas went down pretty dramatically, like in half dramatically. Statistically, there have, on average, around 50,000 preborn kids have been saved from abortion in Texas in the year since that measure was passed. But even with the dramatic decline in abortions, there were still abortions being performed in the state of Texas. In August of 2021, Health and Human Services officials in the Texas Department of Health and Human Services reported about 5,400 abortions had been performed in the Lone Star State. In September, which is when the heartbeat law went into effect, that number dropped to 2,200. So here we are in January of 2023, and we're looking back at the fiscal uh, year for 2022, and there's even better news out of Texas. Remember that 2,200 abortions or so being performed per month in Texas? It's down. It's down less than half, actually less than three quarters. What if I told you it was down 99%? Well, there's good news. 99% of abortions are no longer being performed in, in Texas. There's good news about that, but there's also some not so good news about that too. So if we're going to do an analysis, balance, and clarity segment with regard to that very issue, we're going to have to take a look at both sides of that number, and we're going to take a look at both sides of the number coming up next as the bottom line continues. 
you know, when you think about that heartbeat, the first place you hear that heartbeat is when an ultrasound is being performed on an expectant mother. And Preborn has been working diligently to put as many ultrasound machines into Preborn health clinics as they possibly can. And you as a bottom line listener have been helping to do so. To date, six of these ultrasound machines were placed in the last quarter of last year. That's $15,000 per machine, by the way. A $28 donation will provide one ultrasound, and 83% of the women who get ultrasounds through preborn clinics wind up either keeping their child and becoming parents or releasing that child for adoption. Make a donation today. $28 saves one baby, $140 saves 10, $280 saves, uh, saves 10, rather. 2800 saves 100 and $15,000 provides another ultrasound machine, 250 ultrasounds per year for at least 10 years. 833-850-BABY is the number to call, 833-850-2229, or go to cambrightradio.com or rogermarsh.com, click on the preborn banner, and you can process the whole process right there and then. It's tax deductible. It's a way to save lives. Preborn saves lives through ultrasounds. 833-850-BABY. Call Preborn now. Welcome back to The Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh. We're taking a look at some great news, and our friends at Breitbart.com reported this. Great news with regard to the sanctity of human life and the money that you are donating to Preborn, and we are so grateful that you're doing so. 833-850-BABY is the number to call. 833-850-2229. I'd love to see if we could get another 100 kids saved by the end of today's program. So we've got about a little over an hour, maybe an hour and 15 minutes to do so. $28 donation saves one baby, 140 saves five, 280 saves 10, 1400 saves 50, and 2800 saves 100. So one bottom line listener calling in a $2,800 donation and we hit our goal for the day. And again, that's just, that's an artificial goal. It's one that I put together. (laughs) Uh, 833-850-BABY, 833-850-2229. Or go to kbrightradio.com, click on the preborn banner, and make your donation there. It's completely tax deductible. I was mentioning earlier the state of Texas has seen a dramatic drop in abortions. Uh, not only since the Texas heartbeat bill passed in August of 2021, there were 5,000 or so abortions, maybe 5,400 in Texas in the month of August in 2021. When the Texas heartbeat bill was passed and enacted in September of 2021, the number of abortions dropped around 2,200. And that's kind of where it had been treading water for a while. As a matter of fact, in June of 2022, there were 2,596 abortions recorded in the state of Texas. And that is legal abortions in the state of Texas, meaning that these are women who went to an abortion clinic. Once they had a pregnancy test, they had not heard the fetal heartbeat and they had the abortion performed either surgically or through the pills, what they call a medical abortion. 2596 was the number of abortions in June of 2022. And then Roe versus Wade passed. Guess how many abortions were performed in July? 68. Okay. So from 2596 to 68. By the way, guess how many abortions were performed in Texas in the month of August? Now, when you get down to the heartbeat bill and then Roe versus Wade being overturned, the only abortions that are allowed in Texas are for medical emergency. If the health or of the mother is at risk and the doctor deems it necessary, then they can perform an abortion on the child to save the mother's life. And we talked ad nauseum here on the Bottom Line Show about how few women wind up facing that. Maybe 50 years ago they did, but the advancements in modern medical technology are so incredible 
that women can have hormone treatments, they can have surgical treatments, change a diet, they could be put on bed rest, they can be put in the hospital under doctor's care where uh, all the sorts of vitals are monitored. Baby can have, I mean, women have had kind of semi-C-sections where the baby's taken out in the placenta and surgery's performed either on mother or baby and the baby goes back in a little bit and then they come out and go into NICU. I mean, it's incredible what the medical community can do. In Texas, 2,596 abortions performed in the Lone Star State prior to, in June 2022, prior to the the overturning of Roe versus Wade. In July of 2022, that was in June, in July, it was 68. And in August, it was three. That's right. Three abortions performed in Texas in the month of August, 2022. The rest of the data is coming out there fiscal year, September through August. And so uh, no new numbers have been reported yet for what happened in the fourth quarter of the calendar year, 2022. But that is incredible. Glory to God. Abortion has been eliminated in Texas, right? Well, this is where the analysis balance and clarity part comes in. Because we can talk about surgical abortions and the overturning of Roe versus Wade, and a state like Texas all we want to, and say, look, Texas has eliminated abortion practically, when you think that uh, back in August, there were only three abortions reported in the entire state. However, we have to take something into consideration when we want to celebrate this number. Sure, more women are going to places like preborn. They're getting an ultrasound, and they're saying, oh my goodness, that's a baby. That's not a clump of cells. That's not a potential human. That is a child that I'm looking at, my son, my daughter. That baby deserves life. More and more millennial women and Generation Z women are saying, look, I'm gonna wait until I have kids. But once I do have children, that baby has as much right to live as I have to be giving life. But then there's the other issue too. This is New York Times earlier today, the the, the French doctor who invented what is referred to as the abortion pill or the morning after pill, 96 years of age now, being hailed as a genius in the scientific community. Because of such thing as the so-called medical abortion, and this is where the terminology gets a little dicey. The numbers that we've been sharing with you from Breitbart are surgical abortions. The tradition, if you saw the movie Unplanned, Abby Johnson's story, and she had a medical abortion. As a matter of fact, she was assisting on a medical abortion one time. That's where the woman's on the hospital room with the gown, legs in the stirrups. There's the abortionist. They're, you know, uh, they're basically where they're ending the child's life, and then they have to remove the baby from the womb, and so they've got cut limbs, and it's, it's awful. It's gruesome. Those abortions are down to three in Texas from 2,500, two months before. Roe versus Wade was overturned. But how many abortions in the United States are actually surgical abortions, and how many of them are classified cruelly as medical abortions? That number is about 50-50. And so to see a huge drop in surgical abortions is encouraging, but what has it done to the amount of medical abortions? Women getting the abortion pill, which is illegal to prescribe in Texas, but It may not be illegal to pick up in Oklahoma or in Arizona or in Colorado or in California, where abortion tourism has become the order of the day. Let's take a look at those numbers coming up next as the bottom line continues. Life insurance will never replace the person you love, but that money can help you get through life when it feels impossible. 
When your life insurance claim is denied while you're already dealing with so much, you need someone on your side. Stephanie Cover of Cover Law used to work for the insurance companies. She challenges and understands the way insurance companies think. Hire Stephanie to file a life insurance appeal while everything is still fresh in your mind. Don't let the insurance company get away with greedy behavior while you're in mourning. Stephanie Cover will do everything in her power to get you the financial protection which was promised to you as a beneficiary of the policy. The money from the life insurance proceeds can supplement your income so you can support yourself throughout the process of bereavement. Save Stephanie's number or call her now at 877-214-4935. That's 877-214-4935. Or you can fill out a contact form at kbrightradio.com slash coverlaw. Stephanie Cover. she knows the other side. It's so important to know what your life insurance policy does and does not do when it comes to uh, personal injury cases, especially like this. And Stephanie Cover knows how to make sure you have the right amount of auto insurance and life insurance that you need. Call her for a free consultation, 877-214-4935, or go to kbrightradio.com forward slash Cover Law. Welcome back to the Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh. The good news coming out of the state of Texas is that the Texas heartbeat bill, coupled with the overturning of Roe versus Wade, making Texas effectively a pro-life state, did its job. Uh, the number of abortions performed in the Lone Star State back in August of, of 2021, before the heartbeat bill passed, was around uh, five 6,000. By the time September of 21 rolled around, it was 2,200. In June of 2022, the heartbeat bill and almost Roe versus Wade, there were 2,596 abortions performed in Texas. And in July, there were 68. And in August, there were three. I mean, can you imagine a state, the second most populated state in the country, only performing three abortions? It sounds too good to be true. Unfortunately, it is. We talked about in the previous segment, the difference between the surgical abortion and the medical abortion. Surgical abortion is the classic, as you think of it. The woman's lying on the operating table, legs up in the gurney. Doctor goes in, has to end the baby's life, and then cut off the limbs to get the baby out. The medical abortion, mifepristone, is a two-pronged approach where, and warning, heads up, this is a big graphic. If you don't want to listen to it, go back and listen to the podcast later. Mifepristone is literally a two-pill approach where the first pill is given to the mother to take to effectively stop the flow of food and nourishment to the baby. In other words, the baby is starved to death. The second pill is taken a couple days later. is designed to then help the baby get out of the body because the baby can't live there anymore because the baby's not alive. The medical abortion that uses that process is about 55% of all abortions in the U.S., so in the state of Texas, I remember having this conversation with my good friend, Dr. Jim Dennison of the Dennison Forum. He said, the good news is of the 50,000 surgical abortions every year in Texas, that number will drop down to somewhere around two or 3,000. The bad news is for the women who want abortions, they will find a telemed option where they'll get the pills from another state, or they will actually use access of their insurance policy, their medical insurance that says, if you need a procedure and you can't get it done in your state, our policy will pay up to four or $5,000 of travel expense reimbursement for you to go. Now that's designed for heart transplants, liver transplants, knee replacement, hip replacement. But now many insurance companies, medical insurance companies are letting people use it for abortions. 
which is why California has already has passed legislation. New York is getting into it saying, hey, we want to be here. Hey, come to New York and have an abortion. Spend the weekend. Go see the Rockettes. I don't know what they're going to do. I mean, they, they, they call it abortion tourism. And it's insidious. But for the 50,000 surgical abortions that will no longer happen in Texas, there will be 40,000 medical abortions that will originate in Texas that will happen in different states. This is why your gift, your tax-deductible donation to preborn, is so critical. Because there's a young woman who says, don't worry, mom, I'm not going to go have an abortion, air quotes. I'm not going to go under the knife. I'm going to find somebody online who can prescribe. And now the CVS, Walgreens, they want to make the prescriptions easier to fill at the pharmacy. So you don't have to go get a prescription from a doctor and bring it in and hand them your note and have them check you out. The pharmacist can now receive a phone call or an email and they can fill it that way. Thanks, CVS and Walgreens. You're a big help. So your 16-year-old daughter could do a telemed appointment, get a prescription for abortifacients, toddle on over to Walmart and pick up that along with a couple of magazines and maybe a, you know, Arizona iced tea. And I'm not trying to minimize, but that's how the system works. Are we going to see an, a number in the overall abortions, a reduction there? I don't know. I hope so. But remember, if 55% of the abortions are medical and 45% of the surgical, we have to make sure that women have the right information about every aspect of this. And this is why your gift to preborn is so important. 833-850-BABY. A woman goes into a preborn clinic and gets a free pregnancy test and a free ultrasound. They get to see her, her child. And now she gets to make an informed decision. You are pregnant. That is your baby. That's what he or she looks like. Do you want to be a mom? Do you want to release the child for adoption? Do you want to abort? 83% of the time when a woman goes to a preborn clinic and sees the ultrasound and hears that heartbeat, she chooses life for her baby. And that's where your $28 donation saves a child. Make the call right now. 833-850-BABY, 833-850-2229. Or go to kbrightradio.com. There's a nice little banner with a picture of two brand new babies there. Click on that banner. In 28 seconds or less, you can make that donation to save a child's life. I highly recommend that you take advantage of this opportunity to save babies through preborn. 833-850-BABY, 833-850-2229, or go to kbrightradio.com and click on the banner. As we continue, it is Super Tuesday. You ever thought about running for office? I've had people suggest it. I've thought about it myself. I decided against it. I like my radio job. <laughs> I really do. But what happens when you do make that decision to run and you come ever so close to actually winning the seat that you're running for? On the other side of this break, we're going to talk with a woman who took the calling of God literally and actually mounted a campaign for office. And she was not successful, but she learned a lot. Terry Hasdorf joins me next as the bottom line continues. Hey, if you're in the baby boom generation or in Generation X, even if you're in the greatest generation, and you're wondering why your pension isn't holding up, you're wondering why your 401k or IRA is about to fall apart, I want to invite you to a special free event that will answer all those questions and help you redirect your financial footing. Are you interested? Dennis Wilson at Wilson Financial Services is hosting a free screening of the outstanding new documentary called The Baby Boomer Dilemma. It's an expose of the pension and retirement fund system and basically helps you to 
avoid the pitfalls that many Americans make when they're investing their money into long-term savings for their retirement. The tickets are free. The screening is coming up on January 21st at 1130 a.m. at the Gem Theater right here in Garden Grove. But here's the catch. You have to call Wilson Financial to reserve your tickets while they're still available. There are at least 50 seats left for this 100-seat intimate screening, and I want you to have them. Call Dennis right now at 800-696-9970, 800-696-9970, 800-696-9970, or drop us a line here at the Bottom Line Show and K-Bright Radio, 800-227-5278. Make your plans to be with us on January 21st, Saturday, 1130 a.m. at the Gem Theater in Garden Grove to watch Dennis Wilson and the presentation of the Baby Boomer Delight. It's going to save your retirement for sure. Well, welcome to a Super Tuesday edition of the Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh, and I know that we're still a long way away from primaries. We're still a long way away from having to think about the election. But you know, especially since the 2024 election is going to be a presidential election, that we are going to be hearing about it from here to kingdom come. And what is going to happen in the case of Joe Biden and the documents? And is that, you know, just a little personal aside here. Uh, when President Biden was declared the winner of the 2020 election, I remember reading all sorts of conspiracy theories, which I like calling conspiracy theories. I'm sure you do, too, because 99 times out of 100, they're right. Some of them are pretty far-fetched, but everyone's concerned about Joe Biden's mental acuity, his age. Would he be you know, able to handle it? Um, well, they couldn't get Hillary Clinton elected as the first woman president in 2016. So Kamala Harris comes along and maybe she becomes the first president after they uh, show President Biden the door via the 25th Amendment. Then she turns out to be a disaster. And now you've got Hakeem Jeffries, who was almost, I mean, literally inches away from being Speaker of the House. You have to ask the question, you know, what is the Democrat strategy? And then there's Gavin Newsom saying, I'm not going to run for office. Well, that doesn't mean he wouldn't take the office if it were given to him. And then here come these documents just out of nowhere. Oh, by the way, White House officials and lawyers on the 2nd of November, six days before the election, whoops, at the, uh, at the Pennsylvania University Joe Biden library that it takes what is it, 70 million, anywhere from 70 to $100 million in donations for the Chinese government to pump that stuff up? We found some documents he shouldn't have. And then we found some more in his home in Delaware. And well, well, Donald Trump's a bad person and, and he declassified things that he shouldn't have declassified. So we're going to raid Miralago. But with Joe Biden, it's like, hey guys, look what we found two months ago. Oops. I mean, <laughs> After the media finally had to cop to the fact that the Hunter Biden story would have impacted nearly 10% of Joe Biden voters and they would not have voted for Joe Biden. Then the midterms roll around and the Democrats hold serve. They don't necessarily get run over by a red wave. But what if the leader of the Democrat Party turned out to have all sorts of classified documents he wasn't supposed to have? And that story, well, we're not going to treat that too seriously because, well, you know, I mean, that, 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 that could impact the election negatively. And mark my words, if Donald Trump had been in office and the discovery of the documentation happened during his presidency while he was in office right before an election, they would have run him up the flagpole and back down the other side. So now the 25th Amendment becomes in play because maybe they have to 25th Amendment this guy rather than impeach him because of the documentation. 
Now they're going to do a full investigation, et cetera. The full investigation, quite frankly, isn't going to be so much about Joe Biden's culpability, in my opinion. It's going to have more to do with whether or not Americans will buy Kamala Harris as a president. They're going to do all sorts of auditorium testing. And who can we give as her new? How about Gavin Newsom? Wouldn't he make a great vice president of the United States, you might be asking? How about Hakeem Jeffries? Hey, maybe that'll work. Maybe it's a Newsom and Jeffries ticket. You never can tell. Politics makes for some strange bedfellows. And I know that last week on the National Crawford Roundtable podcast, we did talk about the Kevin McCarthy thing and the 20 Republicans who stood up to him and there were lots of mea culpas all around. But there was one point that I made on the NCR podcast. I'll make it again here. If these guys had been unsuccessful, there was talk at one point, they're saying, yeah, we'd rather have Hakeem Jeffries than Kevin McCarthy, hoping that McCarthy would cave, which he did. But what if he didn't? What if those 20 turned tail and voted for Hakeem Jeffries, and then the 25th Amendment thing gets kicked into gear, and next thing you know, it's not Speaker of the House Hakeem Jeffries, it's President Jeffries, President Election Denier, right? 2016, we can't accept these results, blah, 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 blah. I mean, it's all over social media. You can you can find it there. Politics makes for some strange bedfellows, which is why so many people in the body of Christ say, you know what? I'm not voting. 25 million Americans, nearly a quarter of Christians who are registered voters do not cast the ballot. I know that's not true with bottom line listeners. You have a much higher percentage of registered voters who actually vote than in other places in Christendom. And I'm very proud of that fact. It's not because of me, it's because of you. <laughs> But many Christians have considered, and bottom line listeners have considered, running for office, running for a city council, mayor, school board, something like that. But you've wondered, do I have what it takes? Should I even try this? Well, recently I came across a book that I thought you might find interesting because I found it interesting. The book is called Running Into the Fire, Why More Christians Need to Be Involved in Politics. The author of the book is a woman by the name of Terry Hasdorf. She is an executive level leader, has over 20 years experience in government and politics. She worked at what was used to be called the White House Office of Public Engagement. She has graduated from the senior executive program at Harvard University's John F. Kennedy School of Government and is currently in the executive MBA program at Oxford University. As a matter of fact, on the other side of this break, we're going to talk to her in London. I'm talking about why she ran what her campaign was like and why she thinks more Christians should do more than just vote. They should actually run for office. Terry Hasdorf joins me next as The Bottom Line continues. Well, today here on The Bottom Line, we're going to have a conversation about something I think that has been on the minds of a lot of people in the body of Christ, especially, and that is Christians involved in politics. More and more Christians are saying, hey, I'm not going to vote. We hear from Jason Yates and My Faith Vote saying 25 million Christians don't want to vote. On the other end of the spectrum, there are a lot more Christians who are actually running for office, who are looking for those city council seats or school board seats, and some of them even going higher. Uh, today on the program, I'm joined by Terry Hasdorf, who has a story. There's a book out called Running Into the Fire, Why More Christians Need to Be Involved in Politics. And we have a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. Terry knows what it's like to be a candidate, to actually say, I'm going to go straight for the top and run for a, a congressional seat. Terry Hasdorf, welcome to The Bottom Line Show. 
Thank you so much, Roger. It's wonderful to be with you today. Now, after we read this book, are we all going to be super motivated to file papers and run for office, or is it just a fascinating story? What were you hoping to accomplish by telling your story in book form? Well, the book is really geared towards helping believers understand, first and foremost, why they're so needed in the world of politics. Mm -hmm. uh, they don't have to be afraid of it. Uh, the second reason for the book is basically to teach you where the levers are, how you can really make a difference, and how you can get involved and be most effective. And then last but not least, it's an equipping tool. It's designed to, to give you uh, resources and tools to help you know how to plug in for more information and how to find others that are like-minded. So, you know, if that inspires you to run for office, fantastic. There's some uh, tips and information in there for people that have that, uh, that call. But the main purpose of this book is to help people who of faith uh, understand why they're so needed and to teach them how they can really get involved. Now, you ran for the House of Representatives representing Alabama's second congressional district uh, back in 2020. Um, you have a degree from Sanford University. You worked in executive programs and you actually have uh, a bit of experience in government and politics getting into it. Kind of paint the picture. Who is Terry Hasdorf and what led her uh, to actually file papers in the second district in Alabama two years ago? Sure. Well, you know, I went to Russia on an exchange program when I was in high school oh, fun. and I traveled with 40 student leaders from across the state of Alabama. And I saw firsthand what communism and socialism does to people. And the hopelessness and the oppression that I saw there just really made such a lasting impression upon me that when my plane landed at John F. Kennedy Airport after three long weeks in a communist country, I got down on my hands and knees and kissed the ground. Mm. I was so mm -hmm. grateful to be an American. Yeah. And I've never lost that. Uh, that really inspired me to get involved in our government because we have the ability to do so because we are so blessed with uh, the ability to make a difference in our government. Even if it's just one person, if they're passionate enough, can usually uh, bring about change uh, in a lot of ways that they may not even realize sometimes. And so um, I started working in the governor's office and then uh, worked in the White House when I was in college. Uh, interned in the White House Office of Public Liaison and then was asked to stay on board um, and, and work for about a year and then went on to work on Capitol Hill under Speaker Gingrich for um, uh, the first chief administrative officer of the House. I was on Capitol Hill for about six years mm -hmm. and then um, uh, worked in a couple of other positions, but really uh, prayed and felt in 2020 that I was supposed to run for Congress. And so, you know, that was something that uh, it, it was... Uh, something that I would not have dipped my toe in that water if I wasn't really, really sure. But after a lot of time, prayer and fasting, um, you know, God just made that clear. And, you know, running for office is an incredible experience. It's one of the most amazing things you can do. But it's also something where, um, you know, you, you find yourself uh, suddenly becoming a um, small business. And mm -hmm. any small yeah. business needs startup money. Mm -hmm. And what I think so many people don't really understand is that uh, running for office is basically like running a branding and marketing campaign. Mm -hmm. And if you're honest and you're not willing to take money from people who will right. probably have an agenda once you take their money, if you get elected um, and you're not, you're not independently wealthy, where do you go for support? Well, you go to other believers. 
You know, it's interesting talking with Terry Hasdorf today here on The Bottom Line. You can tell Terry's on location and uh, joining us from Heathrow. We're very grateful for the fact that she's able to do so. Her book is called Running Into the Fire, Why More Christians Need to Be Involved in Politics. And we have a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. Terry, you mentioned the dollar thing, and a couple of questions came to mind. First of all, when Speaker Gingrich was on The Bottom Line Show a little over a year ago, I was very, uh, he was just a wonderful guy. And he mentioned the fact that he was frustrated with the gridlock on Capitol Hill. And he says, you know, in 1994, we could sit down and work deals people we could because they were all working toward a common good he said now i doubt if i would have that same effectiveness just because it seems like there's that spirit of uh no longer a spirit of cooperation it's a spirit of antagonism and things of that nature and i i think we can all see that playing out but then you got the christian component i mentioned jason yates at the beginning of the program my faith votes and other organizations that have said look there are a number of christians who are either eligible to vote or registered to vote who just don't vote and if they're not even willing to pull yes or no for a candidate on the on the uh, in the ballot box every couple of years, what would make us think that they would be willing to make that investment in terms of the 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 money that goes along with it? So it does put someone like you as a, can a Christian woman running for office in a situation now where you have to say, I'm either going to go this alone or I'm going to take the basically lobbying money that's coming my way and I'm beholden to them. Uh, it it's kind of seems like a no-win situation. What what encouraged you to say, hey, I'm going to do this anyway? I mean, I need to. Well, you know, here's the, here's the great news about this. 67% of Americans identify as being Christians. Right. That's the majority. And yet 41% of Americans don't vote. That's the bad news. And that's so all Americans, not just Christians. 41% of Christians, I'm sorry, 41% okay. of Christians are not even registered to vote. Hmm. And out of the ones that are registered to vote, about half on average don't show up in most elections. Wow. So it's very quickly, you know, it's a pretty simple answer. It's a numbers game. Right. And, right. It, you know, it, it's like anything else. If we don't play, you're not going to win. So this is just a simple, you know, formula for success is first and foremost, we just have to get more involved. The reason why I named the book Running Into the Fire is because I was talking with a friend of mine who had also run for Congress about the same time I did. And I asked him, why do you believe Christians shy away from being involved in politics? And he said, because they're afraid of it, because huh. they think of it as being dirty and corrupt. Yeah. And I said, mm -hmm. yes, that's exactly right. He said, but you know, what they really need to be doing is thinking of it more like people who are in law enforcement or people who are firefighters, because they're trained to overcome their fears and instead of running away from the burning building, they run right into it. And I thought, mm. you know, that's exactly what we're called to be as Christians. We're called to walk in faith, not fear. And so, you know, if Christians will engage more, if there's a higher level of political engagement across the board, whether it's voting, running for office, working on a campaign, just knowing how to get involved and be most effective on an issue, that's going to make an enormous difference. So those are some of the things that I talk about in the book and try to give people a little bit more understanding of how they can be most effective in doing that. You know, Terry Hasdorf with me today here on The Bottom Line, Running Into the Fire, as she mentioned, is the title of the book, Why More Christians Need to Be Involved in Politics. And I think that's that's a key. I, I love the subtitle, Terry. We've got a link for the book at thebottomlineshow.com. I love the subtitle because... You're talking about the full involvement process. I mean, obviously, you're telling your story from the perspective of someone who worked on Capitol Hill, who knows people in the know, has management, leadership, executive experience, and said, okay, God's calling me through prayer and fasting to run for office. And you went through the whole process, which you document in the book. But the key word, I think, in the subtitle is 
to be involved in politics. And I think a lot of Christians think, well, my involvement in politics is every two years I'll vote, maybe, you know, <laughs> just maybe, you know, and that's about as far as it goes. Talk about some practical steps for people who are, maybe they've been sitting on the fence for a while and saying, you know, I gave up. I There aren't any good candidates anymore. I don't trust any of them. You know, Trump, Biden, it doesn't matter. I, they're all bad and we're going to heaven soon. Um, not to not to super spiritualize it, but you've heard that too, right? It's like, why are we so concerned about this? Because Jesus is coming back. Until he does, what are some ways that we can kind of help our apolitical or less political friends in the body of Christ get more involved? Even just, I mean, voting is a good place to start, I'm sure. Sure. Well, we're called to rule and reign. We're called to seek the welfare of the city that we're in. You know, uh, this is a time where you don't, you don't realize sometimes I think how much uh, is in jeopardy. You know, our country has never been closer to the brink of socialism. Right. And this is not a time for Christians to pull back. It's a time to lean in. It's a time to get involved. Start small. Maybe you first pray, obviously, first and foremost. Do your homework on candidates. You really have to treat it like a job interview, not right. bring food off of a fast food menu. Mm -hmm. Make sure that you're getting involved on a local level with campaigns. Maybe you go in and you volunteer one day a week, or maybe you just make calls. Maybe it's something where, you know, you get to know a candidate and you find out what it is that you can do to be the most helpful to them. Maybe you hold a fundraiser and they're in your home. Every candidate needs money. <laughs> so mm -hmm. that's a major thing. If they're if they're running for all the right reasons, that means they're probably not being backed by a lot of the people that more establishment type candidates will be backed by. So they need your help financially. And even if it's only $25 or $50, yes, that still makes a difference. Uh, I know when I ran for office, if somebody gave me a check, even if it was just for $25, that does two things. Number one, it tells me that you care enough to put skin in the game, that you're right. willing to write a check. Yeah. And second of all, if you've written a check, you're probably also going to go vote for me for sure. And you're going to tell your friends. And that is invaluable because it's a race after all. And who, yeah. when they're running a race, doesn't like to have people cheerleading for them on the side. Amen. So that's part of it. It's just remembering that, you know, we're all human. And if you're in that and you're, I can tell you from firsthand experience, running for office is one of the most exhausting things I've ever done. I'll and bet. you get tired. So it's helpful to have people come alongside you and be armor bearers and, you know, encourage you. And so all those things are, are necessary and they're so valuable. I think people just don't realize how much of a difference they can really make. Terry Hasdorff is the author of the book, Running Into the Fire, Why More Christians Need to Be Involved in Politics. It's kind of detailing her experience in running for the second congressional district in Alabama back in 2020. We have a link for the book up at thebottomlineshould.com. Just a couple minutes left in our time together, Terry, and you mentioned something earlier about the money that sounded kind of daunting. And I'm sure a lot of people said, well, we'll never get that much money. There aren't that many wealthy Christians. Why are we even trying? But at the same time, when you just mentioned that small, you know, mustard seed type of donation, if you will, how encouraging that was. Money is important, but it really isn't everything, is it? No, it really isn't. There are races where people, you know, go door to door or you have a, a huge groundswell of, of community support. And that can just, you know, counterbalance even if somebody's spending millions of dollars. So there are, uh, you know, opportunities where people can, you know, get behind a candidate and uh, do things like even just calling in on radio shows that they know that candidate's gonna be on or mm -hmm. talking to their friends about the candidate or going out on social media. It doesn't have to all be focused around money, although money always does help. So it's, a, it's, it's both. 
I love it. I love it. Terry, this has been a great uh, conversation. I'm so grateful to get to know you and I'm looking forward to having more conversations with you, especially as, you know, we get a couple of weeks off from the midterms and then pretty soon the 2024 presidential election is going to be back and we'll, <laughs> we'll need your expert analysis. So uh, thank you for writing the book and spending time with us. Again, Terry Hastorf, the author of the book, Running Into the Fire, Why More Christians Need to Be Involved in Politics. We have a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. Terry, thanks for being with us today here on the program. God's richest blessings thank to you this year. Thank you so much, Roger. And I really want to encourage people to check out my website, godovergovernment.com. And thank you so much for what you do with this show. It's been an honor. Well, the privilege is ours, especially as you could tell by the noise in the background there. <laughs> Terry was literally walking through Heathrow Airport on her way back to Oxford for continuing her studies in her master's program. But uh, talking about this book, Running Into the Fire, Why More Christians Need to Be Involved in Politics. We have a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com and a copy of this book to give away right now, 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278 is the number to get you through to the bottom line. If you've thought about running for office, if you know somebody who is, or maybe more importantly, if you are wondering why it is that the Christian influence doesn't seem to be as strong in the electoral process anymore, <laughs> this is a good primer for that. So Terry Hasdorf, Running Into the Fire, Why More Christians Need to Be Involved in Politics. 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278, 800-227-5278. That's the number to get you through to the bottom line. Welcome back to the Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh. 800-227-5278, the number to get you through to the bottom line. And uh, we're giving away a copy of Terry Hasdor's book, a fascinating uh, retelling of what it was like for her to, as she put it, run into the fire. Why More Christians Need to Be Involved in Politics. She ran for the second uh, the, the House seat in the 2nd Congressional District in Alabama. Her efforts were not successful, but she learned a lot about super PACs and massive marketing machines and corruption, et cetera, et cetera. But it's not all bad what she learned. And as more and more Christians are entering into the political realm, uh, Terry makes a very compelling case not only for running for office, but just for Christians being involved in politics, voting, canvassing, campaigning, that type of stuff. We do have a copy of her book up at thebottomlineshow.com. It's called Running Into the Fire, Why More Christians Need to Be Involved in Politics. And we have a copy of it to give away right now. Crystal's taking your calls at 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278. 800 is the number to get you through to the bottom line. We see how much influence the body of Christ can have when we pray, when we take action, when we do what we possibly can to help in a certain area, you know, whether it's in the political realm or how, how about in the health and phys physical realm? Remember Dar DeMar Hamlin? It's the guy who plays a uh, defensive back. He's a safety for the Buffalo Bills. Monday night game against the Cincinnati Bengals on January 2nd. You remember the story. Uh, somewhere toward the end of the first quarter, he made a routine tackle, and both he and the other guy he tackled uh, got, got up from the, uh, the play. He then fell over backwards and collapsed and apparently had what appeared to be a heart attack. 
People have been praying from all over the country. They were praying at the stadium, all over social media. Uh, this is a young guy who grew up in a Christian home. He was part of a local uh, charity that his church was doing for uh, raising uh, awareness for getting toys into needy families' homes for Christmas time a couple of years ago. He set up a GoFundMe page then saying, hey, if we could raise 2500 bucks, we could get a lot of toys for these kids. And people raised seven. Someone found the page, put it up there because they just wanted to do something to help this guy out. They wound up raising over $7 million for that toy campaign. See, when the body of Christ rallies around something, whether it's what Terry Hasdorf writes about in her book, Running Into the Fire, or what we saw with the church and people who were outside the church, I mean, millions of people praying for this young man. Well, now DeMar Hamlin has been released from the hospital. There was a report that he was hopefully going to be attending the Bills game against the Dolphins over the weekend in the playoffs. See, I don't know that he actually was able to attend but guess who's meeting in the next round of the playoff this Sunday? It's the Bills and the Bengals again. That's going to be a highly emotional event. And there's going to be a lot of people in prayer around what's happening on the field. But what really happened in this guy's heart? How much of the healing that he's experienced so far was doctors in great skill, perfect timing, uh, the assistant trainer who was there to give him CPR, and how much of it was supernatural? Uh, Dr. Columbus Batiste is Regional Chief of Cardiology for Southern California Permanente Medical Group. You might have remembered it when it had the Kaiser name in it. Um, he is a cardiologist. He is a health nut. He's also one of the healthiest guys I know, and uh, he's a good friend. And I asked him to join me for the last half hour of the program today to talk about heart health, to talk about uh, DeMar Hamlin in particular, but then also in general to talk about ways that we as believers can honor the temple of the Holy Spirit, our bodies, and take care, you know, as an example, as a witness. So coming up on the other side of this break, I know this is where we bidded you to the live portion of the KCBC crowd, and you'll hear this on the Bottom Line Show Extra tonight at 7 and tomorrow on the Rewind, I would imagine. I, Tamara figures that out with Jim Wells and the team there. But if you want to cheat a little bit on <laughs> discovering the Jewish Jesus and listen online, I encourage you to do so. It's a very, very compelling conversation we're about to have with Dr. Columbus Batiste talking about heart health, talking about cardiology, and talking about pro football and getting back in the stands again and watching these events again, coming out of the pandemic, moving into endemic mode, and some things that we might have lost physically, emotionally, spiritually during the downturn, why we might see more people with health problems, especially uh, cardiovascular disease, and ways that we can be on our guard to prevent it. I know Dr. Batiste has a personal story about this involving both his dad and his father-in-law that really mo motivated him to get involved in this area of ministry. And we're going to have that conversation for the final half hour of the program. So uh, keep it right here for those who remain on the network. Dr. Columbus Batiste talking to Mar Hamlin, cardiology and heart health. Uh, for those who are bidding us adieu, check it out on the podcast. Go to My Hope Now, go to thebottomlineshow.com, and you can uh, see all the uh, uh, the after effects after that's all done. Dr. Columbus Batiste, radio, a cardiologist par excellence, is going to join me coming up next as The Bottom Line continues. Well, today on The Bottom Line, we're going to get into something medical and something spiritual and something that is of great importance to all of us, uh, the, the story of Tamar Hamlin from a medical perspective. And joining me today here on The Bottom Line, I was able to call in a ringer, uh, Dr. Columbus Batiste, who's the Regional Chief of Cardiology for Southern California Permanente Medical Group, uh, cardiologist who understands heart understands athletics and healthy eating and want to get his take on the DeMar Hamlin situation from a medical standpoint, but also from a spiritual standpoint. Dr. Columbus Batiste, welcome back to the Bottom Line Show. 
Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. It's good. It's great to have you here because of your expertise. And I've gotten to know you, of course, because uh, Dr. Batiste's wife, Danette, and my wife, Lisa, are better than friends. I mean, in terms of closeness, yeah. I mean, basically, we're talking sisters, you know, if not cousins, <laughs> whatever. So, yes. <laughs> so we've had the chance to get to know each other over the past couple of years. And I appreciate your, your pragmatic, practical, but also spiritual view on how we in the body of Christ can do a better job of taking care of our bodies. Cardiologically, how do you think we're doing as a nation? I know that the pandemic probably threw a lot of people into, you know, some unhealthy patterns, but uh, what what are you seeing in the patients that you're working with, Dr. Batiste, right now? Yeah, no, thank you, and, and it's a pleasure to see you again, and I'll tell you, when I look at the state of cardiovascular health in the United States, it's one that's of great concern of mine, and that's one of the main reasons why I went into cardiology is because of this behemoth called cardiovascular disease. It's the undefeated champion in terms of wreaking damage and in, in, in killing individuals yeah. since 1918, the Spanish hmm. flu, right? Wow. That it's, it's been the number one undisputed leader and it continues to be so. And I believe that what the pandemic really brought out is the same thing that fear brings out of us. It, hmm. it, it, it causes us to revert back to our primordial types of habits in terms of just not caring about the future, but the immediacy. And so doing whatever we could to comfort, which means staying, avoiding pain, avoiding activity, seeking comfort through foods and other illicit substances. And, and we've seen the, the rebound effect of it in terms of the healthcare. We've seen now uh, sicker patients who are coming into mm. the hospital and things of that nature. So That's wild. And, and again, notice we did not once mention COVID. This is just, I mean, the, the it's more of a, it's beyond that in terms of that that wasn't the only illness that was, you know, befalling people. That's, That's just correct. what the, the way people have been reacting to the pandemic and then what it's done to society. It has really changed the way a lot of people have thought. And guilty as charged, I felt like you were kind of reading my diary for the last couple of years <laughs> you know, in terms of some of the things where I used to be more active and now I'm not. And if I have a chance to stay home, I do. And I didn't necessarily think I was doing it out of comfort. I thought I was doing it mostly because I'm a curmudgeon and I don't really have that desire to be around people. But but I could see that. I could see that's why that's happening. And so as things are opening back up again, as people are starting to take better care of themselves, we find ourselves craving, it seems, these large-scale activities like going to concerts or you know being in church again or, or even going to football games. And I think that's why you've got this confluence of all these different emotions happening on January 2nd at the Buffalo Bills Cincinnati Bengals game when DeMar Hamlin fell, literally collapsed. Did, I wasn't watching the game. I just saw the video afterwards. Did you get a chance to see the game, Dr. Batiste? I didn't see it live. I was actually messaged by someone immediately asking my take on it. Mm -hmm. And I, I pulled it up and took a look there. Like everyone else, I, I was saddened and immediately my thoughts and prayers went out to, to him in that in that moment. And I believe one of the greatest concerns that all of us have is that it actualized some of our greatest fears. Mm -hmm. Our greatest fear is that we enjoy watching this sports and we enjoy watching, I'll say it, the brutality of, of perhaps mm -hmm. football or a boxing match or whatever it may be. But none of us want death. None of us want, I hope none of us want to see someone die <laughs> right. or maimed right. or have a major issue. And I think in that moment, it ceased to be about, about the game and about our entertainment and about our enjoyment. And, right. and our hearts went out to that individual. Mm. Dr. Columbus Batiste is my guest today here on The Bottom Line. He's the Regional Chief of Cardiology at Southern California Permanente Medical Group. And we've got a link for his background and bio information up at thebottomlineshow.com. Uh, we're talking about DeMar Hamlin. And 
in that moment, I think, I think the initial reaction, we all just kind of, when we're, when we're at a traffic accident or a crime scene or something <laughs> like that, I think our brains want to start putting together things together. We want to try to put them yes. in order. What happened? How could we prevent it? What can we do to, you know, to help this young man? I think over time, it's been fascinating to see how, you know, initially Lisa and I both watched the hit on the replay and said, well, gosh, we've watched a lot of football. I know it, it can be a violent contact sport, but that didn't seem like that hard of a hit. And then one doctor went forward and said, well, this is looks like the kind of uh, cardiac arrest that we've seen happen in young athletes, like a kid playing Little League gets hit with the ball on the chest or something like that, catches them in between breath. And in your opinion, Dr. Batiste, what, what did you see happen? I mean, obviously not expecting you to diagnose this, but uh, uh, how accurate is a statement like that? Yeah, I, I, I think it's for sure in the realm of possibility. I think one of the things that we do as providers, and first I want to acknowledge what you said. When we go by a traffic uh, uh, accident, we do start to reconstruct things in our own mind because we're looking to make sense of the world. And we're also looking to seek for blame. Oftentimes, I think that's a human tendency. And so mm -hmm. when I look at that situation as a physician, one of the things that I look at is what we call differential diagnoses, which mm -hmm. means that we take what are the most likely causes? I walk outside and I see the ground is wet. What are the most likely causes? <laughs> Someone yeah. could have spilled a glass of water. It could be raining. The sprinklers could have gone off. There's a series of things that go through my, my mind subconsciously. And so as healthcare providers, the same sort of scenario goes through our mind and we begin the process of prioritizing what's more likely and what is possible, but I need to rule these out first. Yeah. And that's the sequence that we undertake. So when I look at that hit, the first thing I think of in a young athlete, what's the cause of a young athlete potentially having what we would call cardiac arrest, meaning the heart stops, they're dead in that moment. Mm -hmm. Well, we know that it could be a primary arrhythmia or electrical disturbance that happens that was undetected before. It could be an issue where the heart muscle is way too thick called hypertrophic cardiomyopathy, and it leads to a disarray in terms of the conduction system. It could be an issue where the plumbing or the pipes or the coronary arteries that they're coursing in abnormal direction. And so what ends up happening is they become compressed and now the, the heart muscle ceases to receive any blood flow in that mm. moment. Mm -hmm. It could be an issue which everyone came to that, that sense of could this be a, a hit, a blow, a strike to the chest at the precise moment when it could trigger a deadly arrhythmia? And all those things begin to, to seep through amongst the, the idea of other things. It could be some congenital things that, that really come to, to play just in that moment. So that's why it's hard to really definitively make a statement. But certainly I acknowledge all of the suggestions that have been put forth as potential causes. He spent about a week and change in the hospital. He was an ICU on a ventilator for a while. He was eventually transferred and then, and now is home recuperating from what we read. Um, with a timeline like that, are you surprised? I mean, does this, I mean, not to super spiritualize it here, but this almost borderlines on a miracle from where I'm, I'm sitting. Is this, but is this kind of standard treatment for someone who would have experienced what you just described? So I think it varies. I think in someone young, otherwise healthy, as far as we know, in the absence of chronic disease, what do I mean by that? Diabetes, high blood pressure, high cholesterol, mm -hmm. right. underlying heart disease, that they're otherwise healthy, that the likelihood of recovery may be faster. But what we know for sure is that if a person awakens within the first three to four days, their likelihood of, of, of recovering is a lot better, mm -hmm. is what some studies have shown. And so he did just that. After two days, he awoke. And so we began to see that process start to undertake. Well, that is encouraging to hear. I mean, just to see the way this is all orchestrated and the way it's all been playing out, uh, because in the public, the, the outpouring of support, it really struck a nerve. I mean, people who aren't 
who aren't football fans are rallying around him in prayer. Uh, my colleague, Neil Boron, who hosts a show on WDCX in Buffalo. Of course, they got a ton of Buffalo Bills fans there. He said there are atheists coming on their social media pages saying, look, if you're one of those praying people, you should pray for this guy. You know, it's amazing <laughs> to see. It really struck a nerve. Uh, Dr. Batiste, talk about why why this got to us. I mean, we, we kind of handed at the, uh, gosh, it could have been us. I mean, I have a 20, I have a 25 year old daughter and a 28 year old son. So, I mean, I, I know who, uh, you know, that, that, that age group, you know, really kind of hit home with me, but why do you think it just sent shockwaves through the the culture and led to the response of, we need to call on a higher power now? Yeah. Yeah. And it's hard to say everyone has their perspective on things. I, but my guess, my, my intimation is the fact that we don't like to see bad things happen to who we perceive as good people, mm -hmm. to individuals who don't deserve to have certain things happen. And our hearts immediately pour out to individuals or they're in situations that we ascribe a level of worthiness to them. And not to say this young man is not worthy or not worthy, but I think that's, that's natural. And so when we see situations happen like this of too soon, too young, that our hearts really go out for that situation and and so I think that's one of the main the main things that kind of led folks to really kind of say, you know what, this man literally was dead on the field. He literally was dead on the field and was being revived. And and I do have to kind of take a moment to say, I'll tell you, just look at the blessing of the miracle. Forget about miracle. When you think about miracle, right? A miracle oftentimes happens before the request is being made. Mm. Uh, so 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 things yeah. begin to happen long before there's a need that's called on. And so years ago, you can go back to the era of Hank Gathers, who passed away. Yes. Mm -hmm. There was not the same level of responsiveness. So you look at the level of science evolution. You look at the, the level of equipment, the knowledge to have this emergency action team that's there. That now fast forward 20, 30 years, the response is so prompt. The level of engagement to resuscitate, to perform CPR and administer the appropriate therapy is so quick that this young man is is bound to make a, a speedy recovery. And that, mm -hmm. I think, is the miracle right there that began happening before he was even thought of, before DeMar Hamlin even existed, mm. that things began to take place. And that's power right there. That's power. Yeah. It certainly is. And boy, what a powerful conversation we're having right now about DeMar Hamlin, about our bodies, and about uh, what happened two weeks ago on the football field in Cincinnati uh, involving the game of the Buffalo Bills and Cincinnati Bengals. Dr. Columbus Batiste is my guest today here on The Bottom Line. He's the Regional Chief of Cardiology for Southern California Permanente Medical Group. We're going to talk about some of the other areas of ministry and medicine that he is involved in on the other side of this break. So keep it right here as The Bottom Line continues in just a moment. You know, it was interesting when Dr. Batiste just said, you know, that this treatment was ready. I mean, everything was ready for DeMar Hamlin before he was thought of, before he was created. We know that the sanctity of human life is something that God places a high value on. We're created in his image and we are knit together in our mother's womb, Psalm 139 tells us. But we live in a culture that says the preborn baby doesn't matter unless the parent says that it matters. That's why we're calling on bottom line listeners to say, look, I'm a parent, I'm a grandparent, and babies matter. Expectant moms matter. Expectant dads matter. Your $28 donation to preborn right now is completely tax deductible, and it ensures that a woman will get an ultrasound at a preborn clinic. She'll get a pregnancy test, and she'll get the right information about where she is in her situation and then what options she have, either to become a parent, to release the child for adoption, or to still legally abort in here in the People's Republic of California. But 83% of the women who use preborn 
choose life. Give a gift right now online at kbrightradio.com. Click on the preborn banner and give a $28 donation to save one life. A $280 donation saves 10. A $15,000 donation will provide an ultrasound machine that will provide 250 ultrasounds per year for 10 years. Or call 833-850-BABY, 833-850-2229. Call now. Dr. Columbus Batiste is my guest today here on The Bottom Line. I'm Roger Marsh, and if you are listening at home, of course, you can uh, you can access him. Um, t- talk about your, your local practice. I mean, I've been bragging about the fact that you're the new regional chief of cardiology for Southern California Permanente Medical Group, but uh, this has been a lifelong journey, obviously, for you, and there you have other aspects of your medical ministry that you were involved in as well. Talk about that, if you would. Yeah, no, well, thank you for, for allowing a little time with that. You know, one of the things, passions I have is that um, health is more than just what you eat. It's more than just the medications you take or the procedures that you have. It's mind, body, and spirit. And so one of the things that I sought out uh, is to educate individuals regarding all of that aspects to make man truly whole. And what that means is extending myself beyond the boundaries of my practice. That means extending myself beyond the walls. And so that's what led me to develop healthy heart, thehealthyheartdoc.org, where I, I deliver information and provide lectures. It led me to uh, to develop a, a nonprofit, Healthy Heart Nation, and really, I'm in on the throes of writing my first book, which is. Excellent. And I I know when I, we met, you said there's a thousand books out there. Yeah. But I said there's not a thousand that have an intent and purpose, and so the title of my book is called Selfish, Selfish, mm-hmm. and it's 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 a cardiologist's keys to to um to curing a stressed and broken heart, which is something that we all have sustained during this time. Amen. Amen. And I can't wait to read it. I will be the first to endorse it, even though you probably find other people who will give you bigger endorsements. But uh, uh, knowing that uh, the, the scar in my chest and my cardiac uh, uh, journey as well, uh, that's part of the reason why I've gravitated toward our friendship. Uh, we were talking earlier about Demar Hamlet, and you mentioned the medical advances, which I'm so glad you did, because oftentimes we see things in the world where people have put so much faith and trust in the process and not necessarily in the creator, you know, and of course we know it's a both and not an either or as people of faith at the same time, though, I mean, uh, Denny Kellington is that the assistant trainer for the bills was the one who's being credited with saying, this is the guy who did the CPR. He probably broke every rib in DeMar Hamlin's chest trying to get that CPR going, or maybe he didn't uh, What kind of condition would we expect a guy who's been literally dead for nine minutes on the field had to be revived twice even though he's a world-class athlete, I mean, physically, he should have been able to withstand a lot of blows. But uh, in that moment, I don't think Mr. Kellington was saying, I can't push him too hard, you know, because we got to get a heartbeat going again. Yeah, no, no, absolutely. And, and I'll tell you, that is the key take-home lesson for all of us. When we think about what is the learning lesson in this DeMar Hamlin case, the learning lesson is that each and every one of us needs to take a few moments to learn CPR. We need to take a class and seek that out. Why? Because good and effective chest compressions can save a life. And that's what was demonstrated. Because if you're essentially what chest compressions are doing is that if they are squeezing the heart to move the blood and circulate it through the system to still deliver whatever level of oxygen that's present and nutrients to vital organs, including the brain, the muscles, of the the extremities and all the vital organs. And so it becomes so extremely important. So good effective CPR is typically where you are decompressing about one to one and a half inches into the the sternum there. So when you speak to how could someone, what determines and lays the groundwork, what we're really saying is what's the resiliency? What's our resiliency Mm -hmm. like to be able to bounce back 
in these times of crises. Uh, and that begins with mind, but it also begins with our body too as well. To it, it, it extends into our body and making sure that we're all taking care of ourselves as healthfully as we can. Obviously, a newer car is more likely to sustain <laughs> a ding here and there. Right, a right. car that's been around the, the block a few times might be mm -hmm. less apt to doing so. So you have to really make sure you take that car as it ages. Yes. So all of us, as we get older, have to pour more into it than perhaps we did 20, 30, 40 years ago, depending on our age. Dr. Columbus Batiste, my guest today here on The Bottom Line, The Healthy Heart Doc, and it's thehealthyheartdoc.com. Is that the website where we find you there? Dot org. Dot, dot org. org. Okay. Okay. Yeah. The, the healthyheartdoc.org, and then also Healthy Heart Nation. Is that a .org as well? Yes. Healthy okay. Heart Nation. Okay, good. When we go to your websites, will we see, are you still, I mean, I would imagine you are, you're a busy guy, but you and Dr. Eric Walsh were doing these uh, uh, slave food uh, documentary screenings and educational seminars and podcasting and things like that. Is that still on your uh, your plate as well, Dr. Batiste? It is, it is. I've, uh, we still do those. We have backed off in about monthly or so. I actually agreed to do another show called Heart to Heart um, on another platform on YouTube. And so I'll host a heart-to-heart uh, -heart conversations on there and just anything I can do that's once again it's passion driven that's area where I can have uh, provide information that can maybe change a life right so it's just it. casting a net that anyone who's willing to receive that they grab hold and hopefully it helps them I love that. We were talking earlier, we got a couple minutes left in our conversation time here. We were talking earlier about the number of people who over the past couple of years have kind of gone into isolation mode. Yeah. We've put on a few pounds, we're not getting out as much, we're not active the way we we were in the past. And, and we're still getting by, so it's okay, right? I mean, we're still kind of making it work. Give us a bit of a biblical exhortation, if you will, Dr. Columbus Batiste, as to ways we can start kind of start getting into it. Because my suspicion is it wasn't by design that people have kind of been hibernating, it may have just been out of necessity. You're working from home, you're not seeing people as often because you're not at church as much because of the pandemic. But now that we've kind of called Oxy and free on that and we can get back in the, the, the swing of things, what are some ways we can start uh, getting healthy, start moving again, maybe making some tweaks in our diets that will actually benefit our heart health? Oh man, listen, I'm going to tell you, you right there, you just threw a softball at me, Roger. You know, I, <laughs> I, I, you threw a softball. I have to hit this one out the park. There you so, go. I mean, I'll tell you one, biblically, we know that man was not meant to be a, be alone, right? That's so we understand that we're social individuals. And so we're not an island. And so one of the ways, and this is really where the idea and the concept of selfish sprung out of just the ideas, I began to think of how I would lecture or communicate with my patients and other individuals. The S stands for spiritual, right? Taking a moment every single day to make sure we engage in terms of, of prayer or meditation, in terms of reflection, of calm, of peace, of quiet. That what ends up happening is that you strengthen the prefrontal cortex. That mm. allow, That's where the, the thought process centers. Mm -hmm. That now your decision-making, your planning begins to take shape and take hold. And so studies have shown that this is one of the keystone keystone blocks in terms of habit change. The next thing that we look at is the E stands for exercise and selfish. Doesn't mean that you have to do CrossFit. Doesn't mean you have to do Peloton. It <laughs> means you simply can do your show, Roger, by standing instead of sitting, right? Okay. That, that all of a sudden just move <laughs> walking around that you create yeah. what's called non-exercise activity thermogenesis. That means that's going to help strengthen your body. That means that you're going to become metabolically active. That means that when you simply walk for two to five minutes after eating, your blood sugar begins to drop. So if you're diabetic, that's a cheat code. 
to help wow. normalize your blood sugar. Sure. Uh, the L stands for love, right? Love is an action word. So what that means is that when we engage in forgiveness, in gratitude, that these things have been shown to rebuild the heart, to improve the blood flow to the heart, mm. to lower the blood pressure and become metabolically active by the power of gratitude. The F stands for food, real food, food that's alive, food that cuts out the middleman, food that comes from the earth that God has given to us. So we talk about fruits and vegetables and whole grains and beans, legumes, nuts and seeds. And you're like, Doc, yeah, I don't quite know what you mean by all that. Okay, I'll make it simple. Go get yourself a bowl. What do they do when, they, when you make your bowl? What kind of rice do you want? Brown rice, white rice. Okay, there you go. What kind of beans do you want? Red, black beans or, or whatever it is. You go all the way through, put the lettuce, put all those things on there. That's building it. Make a potato. These are very simple tools. Make a smoothie, a power smoothie before you mm -hmm. go to work. That's quick and simple. You want to focus on that. This is key. The I is key for what you just mentioned, this isolation. And I stands for intimacy of relationships, mm, not yeah. sexual way. Mm -hmm. But studies have shown that loneliness and perceived separation is comparable to smoking 15 cigarettes every day. Oh, my gosh. That's the, that is the power of loneliness to kill you, wow. to lead to detriment. So we are meant and built. And so that loneliness doesn't extend to humans. It's also your pet. Studies have shown that when you engage in loving and having companionship and you have that pet that's there, that all of a sudden it, it, it causes dilation of the vessels, which can lower your blood pressure, stabilizes what we call the endothelium to help offset you from having to come see people like me. There's power <laughs> that's there. Yeah. Uh, the second S stands for sleep, something all of us negate. Yes. We aren't getting our seven hours of sleep. We're not We're not screening ourselves that we have sleep apnea and we're snoring and not breathing while we're sleeping, right? Uh, or uh, So these things become extremely important to try to say, can I do it? Remember, little bits add up. Just go to bed 15 minutes earlier. Begin that process of moving closer towards that, that, um, that seven-hour mark. The last, the H stands for laughter, laughter, the, the joy of life. And we, and we understand that that joy and laughter is indeed medicine. A wonderful study that was done. There is this thing called cardiac rehabilitation. I'm not sure, Roger, if you went through that after your event yes, in the past. I did. Mm -hmm. And so cardiac rehab is so powerful that incorporates all the components I've spoken about thus far. But there was a little study that was done that they decided to tweak it. They decided in one group, they want this group just to laugh. They said, you can choose what you laugh at. It could be your favorite comedian. Mm -hmm. It could be your favorite sitcom. You're, whatever it is, but 30 minutes, you're going to watch that, something that's going to trigger laughter. And here's the amazing thing. They found that in the group that laughed, they had less hospitalizations, mm. less symptoms of angina, wow. less recurrent heart attacks, everything else the same. There's power in our choices, and that's the key to being selfish. Now, the idea of being selfish isn't to live the life that you're continuing but to live a life of purpose, mm. to have yourself reinvigorated, recharged and renewed. So now you can live the life that you were meant to have. I love it. I love it. Well, there's nothing selfish in the worldly sense about what you just described, Dr. Columbus Batiste, but you've given us some great food for thought, pun intended, for having healthy hearts and happy hearts. Uh, Dr. Columbus Batiste, Regional Chief of Cardiology, Southern California Permanente Medical Group, uh, healthyheartdoc.org and healthyheartnation.org as well. We've been talking about heart health, especially as we're coming out of the pandemic and into the start of a new year. Uh, great insights about Damar Hamlin as well, and I encourage anyone who is just tuning in to go back to the podcast, listen to the beginning of the audio, or check us out on myhopenow.com if you didn't see the video for this already. Dr. Columbus Batiste, thank you for your expertise and your time and your heart for this issue. Appreciate you being with us today here on The Bottom Line.
It's my pleasure. Thank you for having me. Good to see you again. Likewise. And uh, for those who are listening on terrestrial radio, you'll want to go back and uh, go to myhopenow.com and you can see the video of our Zoom conversation here that we just concluded featuring Dr. Columbus Batiste, the Regional Chief of Cardiology, Southern California Permanente Medical Group, talking about heart health, talking about Damar Hamlin. And of course, uh, if you are following the NFL, what a crazy game last night. The poor Cowboys and the Buccaneers and Tom Brady's going home. But how do you have a 31 to 14 game where one team scores five touchdowns? And well, the Cowboys couldn't get it done on the extra point side, but they still got it done on the scoreboard side as well. DeMar Hamlin, as I mentioned earlier, Buffalo Bills will be taking the field against the Cincinnati Bengals this Sunday. Obviously, DeMar Hamlin will not be playing, but there's speculation that he will be in attendance. And his heart health is something that really has galvanized our nation around prayer around exercise, around conversations, people looking at their own mortality. By the way, we've got the links for uh, the uh, uh, Healthy Heart Nation and Healthy Heart Doc. It's thehealthyheartdoc.org. Website is up at thebottomlineshow.com. And also uh, it's www.myhhn.org for Healthy Heart Nation, too, if you want to learn more about the ministries and outreaches that Dr. Columbus Baptiste has. But think about this for just a moment. I mean, our body is temporal. You know, this body is going to last as long as it's going to last, and then it's going to end. And so many people in the world right now, I think the part of the reaction to DeMar Hamlin's collapse two weeks ago, and the reason my hearts are so, so tender still toward it and his recovery, uh, really focuses on the fact that it was it was so shocking to watch him collapse on the field for the people who were there in the stands in Cincinnati and the people who watched the game. But also deep down, there are a lot of folks who don't think about their own mortality. They don't think about the end of life. They don't think about, I mean, even as Christians, we spend so much time looking for ways to God, for God to bless us that we don't think about the ways that ultimately, well, let, let's face it, if, if you haven't heard this recently, let me be the one, the pair of good and bad news. Everyone who's ever been born had an expiration date. Every person who's ever walked the face of the earth did so for a certain number of days, and then life is over at least this life. And then you go on to the next, which is eternal glory with the Lord or eternal torment with the evil one. Those are the options. There is no door number three. There is no plan C, D, or E. There is no extra credit. There are no cheat codes. There's no way around that. In the same way, when a woman is expecting a child, you're having a baby and the baby's going to survive the pregnancy or not. Those are the two options. You know, so when you think about life, there is a finality to it. All the more reason for us to be urgent in sharing the good news. We're sinful people born into a sinful fallen world, but God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son to pay the penalty for your sin and to wash it away like it never happened. You can spend eternal life believing that or eternal life denying that. Those are the two choices you get to make. And that's the bottom line.